Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 29 of 2, 5, and 10. I mean, I figure what better song for an entrance than the crazy train that has been the NHL playoffs. Benny, give him a shout. Holy shit. Uh, I know we're going to get to the series, but everybody knows that's listening to this podcast. The Columbus-Tampa Bay series is turning everything on its head, uh, which is crazy enough on its own. Got a bunch of other stuff going on out west, and we're definitely going to be spending some time talking about the Bruins Maple Leafs and that whole Nazim Kadri, Jake DeBrusque situation and possible suspension for Kadri. And also, I'm going to give a little bit of shout out to Sean Avery's Instagram for his handling of that whole situation. Oh, I can't wait to talk on that, too, that Avery thing. I actually sent them a message, and I had to be very clear in my thing. I'm like, hey, I'm not trying to make it to your Instagram story. I'm not going to put you <laughs> on mine. Like, I just had questions about it. We'll get into that further. But, um, yeah, everybody, welcome, welcome. It has been insane. Anything I touch or I say is going to be a cakewalk has not been that way. Casey um, Mush. Yeah, Casey Mush is here, Big Daddy Mush. Um, well, we'll start with Benny out in San Jose. Currently, game three was last night. Vegas is up 2-1 to one in the series. What do you think, Benny? So... Outside of that game one win where Martin Jones played pretty pretty well for San Jose, the worst-case scenario is coming to fruition for the Sharks. Martin Jones got pulled in game two. Uh, the Sharks gave up six goals last night. Mark Stone with the hat trick. He has six goals in the series already. Uh, and down a stretch after the trade to Vegas, he was already one of the best two-way players uh, in the game. And now it, this is kind of his, apparently, his coming-out party. Uh, for the national audience since his whole career was stuck in Ottawa. Uh, but Martin Jones, last two games, is brutal, uh, and they need him to just be serviceable for any chance to advance past the first round in Vegas. Uh, the other problem that the Sharks are running into is, and it's crazy to say this because they're both top-tier defensemen, uh, but when, when you're on a penalty kill and Eric Carlson is your number one penalty killing defenseman, there's a potential problem there for San Jose. Uh, they just lack a depth, like I said, when we were talking about the series before it started on the back end, where you have Burns and Carlson playing penalty kill, power play, even strength, 20, 25 minutes a game, which is not a recipe for success. Jones is falling apart. Uh, and I guess just the overall, the, just like last year, maybe have underestimated them. No, not a lot of name recognition on a defensive end for Vegas. Just the overall depth and the system that they play with Gerard Gallant is kind of setting a tone in that series. Yeah, their D is a little overwhelming to the San Jose guys. Um, a couple of points. Like you said, yeah, Stone, six goals in three games, eight points in total. Yet again, Stastny tied with him for lead playoff league lead in points, eight points as well. And then Pacioretty in third, six points right behind them. So their big boys are coming to play. I, I think they want to get back to where they were last year. Um, a couple of things. RIP to Logan Couture's balls. Like, just absolutely oh, yeah. ate that right in the jewels. You posted the video of it. Like, oh, brutal. Um, Joe Pavelski's face after getting hit with that puck. Not a good look either. Came back into the game. Came back into the game. Dude's a warrior. I mean, has a divot in his lip. Couple of teeth gone. It's the playoffs. No, no baby. load management in NHL playoffs. No load management. No, there, there's yeah, there's no such thing as load management even leading up to it. Usually, a guy will sit a game or two, not quote unquote load management. But um, no, I'm <laughs> with you on the Eric Carlson thing. Like, Eric Carlson can't be your best PK guy. Can't. Um, he needs to be able to run your PP. I understand your best defenseman has to play in every situation, but coming back from the groin injury that he had and he was out for a while for probably not the best probably not the best and the san jose guys up front like they're not playing poorly it's vegas they play each other last year in the playoffs they play each other a bunch during the regular season so they're very familiar with each other but vegas is one of these teams that seems uniquely equipped to play like their style of game that shuts down the offensive flow for the sharks the sharks are very much a rush to the blue line set up below the hash marks and throw the puck back out to the point and let Burns and Carlson kind of do their thing either with their shot or setting it up uh, a one-timer in the circles. And Vegas is basically preventing them from doing that the last two and a half games. 
Uh, and obviously Vegas has won those two games. So there's they have that day off before game four. I call it's a must win for San Jose. You can't go down three games to one in Vegas, especially with Martin Jones as your goalie and the way he's been playing this year. You can't rely on him to help you win three in a row against Vegas. No, I agree with that completely. I'd say the next game is do or die for him. Um, one other thing, too, Ryan Reeves and Evander Kane go at it at the end of the game. Mm. Not really a big thing in that sense for me, but the big thing to me I take out of it is San Jose is now playing Vegas's game. Like yes. Ryan Reeves is in their head. Vegas is in their head. Like They're adapting to Vegas as opposed to the other way. So, yeah, like we said, I think game four is going to be crucial because if they get down three to one, that's it. What was interesting was I know they were down to late uh, San Jose in last night's game. What I found interesting was instead of having like pulling a goalie or sending both defensemen to try and get to his two goals with under, I think, six minutes to go in a game. They were having Carlson and Burns on the ice as a fourth forward. So they would have, as soon as the faceoff, as soon as they gained possession, one forward would go in front of the net, and then Carlson or Burns would drop down, and it essentially would have a th- four-man forward set with only one defenseman at the top playing in the middle of the blue line. And that was their way of trying to generate pressure, which I found interesting. Uh, didn't Obviously, didn't work out. They didn't score a goal, but that's something to keep in mind uh, for later in the series if they're down a goal late in the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like you said, it seemed just kind of Hill Mary-ish in a sense because if yeah. if that puck gets by, it's a two-on-one the other way just instantly. Um, one other thing, I don't have his first name. It's probably Evgeny, but um, <laughs> the, the Vegas Golden Knights get the KHL's leading scorer coming over. Um, you have a little bit more info on that. Yeah, so he was sent over to Vegas as part of the expansion draft uh, as a please don't take uh, please take Jason Garrison. Uh, so Vegas was able, they they killed it when it came to the transactions before leading up to the expansion draft two years, like two summers ago. Uh, but like you said, le- leading score in a KHL, uh, he just signed his entry-level deal, so he's coming over to the NHL for the first time. He is available for the playoffs. He is probably, I mean, let me ask you this. If you're a Gallant, would you mess with the lineup right now and put a rookie in, even if he's going to get four fly minutes and potentially put him on a power play, or do you kind of stick with what's working right now? I mean, I stick with what's working, and then if something doesn't work and you like what you see in practice, then you plug him in somewhere. I just wouldn't instantly jump into it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he <clears throat> he was just coming over from St. Petersburg. His first name's Nikita, which, again, probably would have been your third guess. Um <laughs> But yeah, so 26 years old, he had 70, 17 goals and 82 points in the KHL. He's the reigning MVP. Uh, he had nine goals, 19 points, and 18 playoff games in the KHL this year. So he's a proven offensive performer. He's a proven guy who can get it done in the playoffs, at least in the KHL. So I wouldn't hesitate to put him in for game five if San Jose wins game four and see if he can help you out on a power play. Because you never know if one of these guys, these late edition guys who comes up on a fourth line or kind of like the guy in Columbus. I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, Texier uh, signs out of college, gives you a big goal uh, playing against the other team's fourth line. Yeah. So we'll see as to if he even gets in the lineup, if he can be a game changer for him. Yeah. So that's interesting. Must win already out there in the West for out here in the West for San Jose. They lose game four series is over. Yeah, on to the next one out west. Do you want to... Oh, there it is. It's right in front of me. Calgary versus Colorado. Uh, game three is tonight, currently tied at one in the series. How do you feel on it? I mean, to me, it seems kind of like I thought, at least going into it. I think Colorado's going to surprise a couple of people. They seem okay. They don't seem rattled. They seem kind of par for the course a little bit. Um, not really too sure as to what to expect on the other end, but... um. Yeah, we're definitely gonna find out. The thing for so for Colorado, like you said, they're playing. They're not afraid. The, so these guys have a little bit of playoff experience. Um, McKinnon is an MVP type player. Uh, he scored the game winner in overtime to get that first series, first game win in a series for Colorado. The thing, the two things that have surprised me in that series is one, the play of Mike Smith. Smith has played better than I was expecting, which is better than average. Uh, he's made a couple big glove saves, especially in game one. 
Uh, so if he's going to continue playing like that, I already thought Colorado didn't have much of a chance to go to six or seven games. If he's going to keep playing like that, I highly doubt that this is going to be much longer of a series. But the thing that surprised me is Colorado has done a pretty good job, especially in game two, uh, of shutting down Kachuk, Johnny Hockey, uh, those guys. So if it's going to turn into a very slower pace, low-scoring series, yes, Calgary still has better depth up front than Colorado does, but I wouldn't want to be tied late in the third or in overtime going against McKinnon, Langeskong, and Ratnan. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, if those guys turn it on, there's obviously a chance, and we've talked about it before. I mean, trusting Mike Smith is a little questionable. Like you said, he's playing really good right now. But, uh, um And nine, Grubauer has been playing out of his mind in the series, and especially late down a stretch in a regular season. He's solidified himself as the true number one out there. Yeah, currently a 9-2-6 save percentage. Um, a big jump to Colorado. I, I think he's kind of like what we just talked about in Vegas. I don't know when he jumps into the lineup, but uh, they signed their Hobie Baker award-winning first-round draft pick, Kill McCarr out of UMass. Uh, tough end to the Frozen Four. Love you, Stratty. I haven't heard from you since. I'm sending out the white flag. <laughs> Someone find you. But um, no, I mean, if they plug him into the lineup, he's an offensive threat. The kid had, I believe it was 56 points this year from the D. He's a D. He can shoot the puck. Everyone saw his one-timer that he had in um, the quarterfinals. Yeah, it's it could get better. I don't, I don't know. I mean maybe he can get you over the hump a little bit and push it a couple more games. Yeah, so that's interesting for me because uh, Jared Bednar said that he's a very real possibility to play in tonight's game. So he's make a toss right into the fire, which I know that's a favorite tactic of Tortorella where a guy who just gets called up or a guy who signs from college, he did the same thing with Kreider. It's like they don't know any better. The moment's not going to get to him because they're just so pumped and full of adrenaline that'll be playing in NHL that the moment's not going to scare him. Uh, so they might be trying to do that with him. The thing with Colorado is they've always had trouble on their back end behind Eric Johnson. They signed Ian Cole. Uh, they have a couple of other guys, uh, Gerard, that are offensively minded, but nobody that's really a strong two-way defenseman. And McCarr is that type of guy. Uh, at least that's his potential. So if he comes in and he's playing 15, 18 minutes a game and he's playing strong defensively and at least help with uh, the head man rush, that's going to be a big turning point for Colorado, especially if Grubauer keeps playing the same way he does and the series stays low scoring. And one thing I think if he does get plugged into the lineup, in college you got your cage on. I know a lot of these guys practice on just visors. But, I mean, now you're going to strictly visor. And then the other thing, too, you jump right into the NHL playoffs. And not for his own nervous sake, but, you know, you already know first time they're in front of the net, a whistle comes up and Kachuk's there. Oh, yeah. You know, it's going to be, hey, welcome to the NHL. Like, he's going to be rattling his cage a little bit. Yeah, welcome to the the NHL. But McCarr is a big boy, so I feel like uh, he might have been limited in terms of physicality in college hockey just because of the rules they have there. So that might be an unseen, unseen side to his game that we might be able to check out. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he's ready to just rip that visor off and (laughs) chuck him. So you you never know how it is with those college boys. Um, Staying out west, uh, we kind of figured this was going to be a low-scoring series because both Nashville and Dallas finished in the top four in terms of goals against for the year. That ser- the series has turned out to be that way. It's tied 1-1. Game three is tonight between Nashville and Dallas. It's the first game in Dallas for the series, so that should be exciting for the uh, team down there. What are your thoughts so far, and what do you think? What have you seen so far that makes you think one way or the other of possibly having a break for each team? I haven't seen anything. It's been like it's been a push straight through. Um, I'm surprised Ben Bishop has played as good as he has, which I mean for them that's huge. Uh, currently nine four six save percentage, one point nine two goals against. Pecorine been the same thing, but he's also been at home, so point nine two three one point nine seven. They're basically matched the same. I the think, thing with Bishop for me is he's always been good, but I'm always waiting the yearly playoff injury. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they can make it out of this first round, I'm sure something's coming for them. <laughs> but um, they have just seem to be evenly matched. I know when we had talked about 
the Bruins and Toronto series, you brought up the Bruins' ability to run four lines and you didn't know the effectiveness. I feel like Nashville was kind of like that, being able to run all four lines, but nothing has really stood out. Everything's been a little flat. The one thing I will give that has stood out in this series is just the speed of it. Like, both teams are flying up and down the ice, but no one's really taking advantage of chances. Um, Dallas had that. They snuck that first one out. I don't think anyone expected that. And then game two ended up going to overtime. So if Nashville can't put pucks in the net, they're going to have a serious problem. Yeah, so that was the thing where that led me to choose Nashville in this series uh, in six games where I knew it was going to be a low-scoring series, but I figured just the offensive depth of Nashville would be too much where they have just a few too many guys that can chip in a goal here and there. So even if it was a low-scoring and going to overtime consistently, I feel like they would have a better overall chance of getting that next goal versus compared to Dallas because they're basically four and fly. They have Zuccarello, Radulov, Sagan, and Ben. And outside of that, it's like you're just hoping for a wish and a prayer. Um, So, But like you said, if Nashville is going to start having trouble scoring, that series is there for the taking for Dallas if it's going to stay that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's up for grabs. And like we said, I mean, currently the goalies have kind of been awash. They kind of cancel each other out a little bit. So, yeah, if you can't put pucks in the net, you're going to have a fucking issue. Big time. There's There's one guy that needs to step up for Nashville. That's pretty much been invisible in this series so far, and that's P.K. Subban. Yeah. uh, The only other thing, too, is I don't want to blame it just on the series. They had the worst power play the whole year in the NHL, so I didn't think that right now would be the time they would get out of it, especially this time of the year. But, yeah, I mean, the whole team in general for me needs to step up. They've been flat. They've had speed, but they've been flat. There's been... No big hits outside of that Boyle one where he killed that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but outside of that, it's been like they need it to roll better. It just seems like it, it's just kind of you, you get a couple good shifts and then there's a hiccup and now Dallas is on you and you're kind of in the retreat mode. So I think that they just need to pick it up a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, and you got to just give credit to Dallas and their system. It's a full team buy-in, especially even for a guy like Sagan and Ben to buy into their team first, defense first system. So... Yeah, Nashville has more firepower, and they have the big guns. They need to step it up, but credit to Dallas for basically turning the series into one that they can possibly win. Oh, I mean, if if they steal Game Three tonight, I mean, Nashville's kind of digging out of the hole. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this series turns into every, each win is whoever's home. I well, I mean, that's not good for Nashville. They, they already <laughs> going there on a split. The only other thing too is I really want to see how Pekka Rene plays today on the road. His yeah. home playoffs have been okay throughout the last couple of years, but on the road he's been a puddle. So I think these next two games are huge, just trying to build momentum and go forward. Uh, Saying out west, the last series, we got the Blues up two games to one over Winnipeg. I picked the Blues to win in seven. I knew it was going to be a, a very tough physical series. Didn't expect them to win both games in Winnipeg, and then Winnipeg to win Game 3 in St. Louis. Uh, not surprised it's two games to one, just a little bit surprised about how we got here. Uh, what are your thoughts so far, and what do you think Winnipeg needs to continue doing even after the Game 3 win? I mean, is Patrick Laine back? Uh, three goals in three games after, I mean, I don't want to call it, I don't want to completely, yeah, a shit <laughs> season. Like, it, it just was not good yeah. completely. Um one thing they still need to keep going, they need Big Buff to keep producing. Uh, one goal, four assists for five points. I, I think that's huge for them. Um, another one is Kyle Connor. He already has two goals. I just think they need to keep trucking away with their whole team mentality. Like they are a very deep team, and they need to use that to their advantage. That they can't just rely on the big guys. And good for them to be built that way, where they're able to be that deep but they need to utilize it. They need to utilize it um, in the scoring. Currently, line A is third. Uh, three goals, I mean, well, tied for second with Eberle, but I don't know. I just think hopefully he finds his game now and they're able to produce now. That's that's about it. I mean, the, the checking has been equal. I mean, everyone's killing each other out there. It's been a fucking bloodbath. But outside of that, I mean, 
I don't know what they can do better. I mean, their D seems to be better now that Morrissey's back in the lineup. Yeah, that was a big, big return for them. Yeah, so getting him back, Bufflin producing, whatever they did last night, just play on the road. I think that just seems to be what it is, just play on the road. Yeah, so for me, <clears throat> for the St. Louis side of things, if Baumeister, Bomeister, however you want to say it, it depends on if you're Canadian or not, uh, <laughs> and Edmondson have lived up to the billing. They've been going toe-to-toe, getting in the faces of guys like Shifley and Wheeler and Connor, like the big boys up front for Winnipeg, uh, doing their part. You're not going to completely shut down Winnipeg in terms of offensive production. They're just too talented and can roll four lines that can score. I mean, Perot's on that fourth line, essentially. So, um, But they're doing a, a very good job there. For the Winnipeg side of things, and this is just like a personal complaint before I get into actual analysis, I get Bufflin's game is built around being physical and kind of using his bully style of game to get under the opponent's skin and cause problems. I'm just so sick. And, if I was on the Jets, I'm just so sick and tired of just anno- like any time there's a whistle, he's pro- he's essentially trying to start a brawl. Like, dude, fucking come on, man, enough. Like, I remember after in game one or game two, after one of the Blues scored, you can see on the replay, Bufflin just grabs one of the forwards by the jersey and starts, like, jabbing him in the face after a goal. Like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, we get it. Enough. Like, for me, if I was his teammate, I would just be constantly annoyed that I'm on the verge of getting my face punched in because this dude just wants to bully himself around. Um, but the thing with Winnipeg is, if Lane is back, and like you said, he's been struggling all year, Halibut has to step up. You can't lose a series if you get Morrissey back, you have Bufflin, you have Myers playing pretty well. I got into it at fight in game one. You can't lose that series because of goaltending, especially against a rookie who's playing in his first playoff series in NHL. No, I agree with that completely. Hellebuck's going to have to steal game two and go back tied. Well, game four and go back tied at two. It's a big, it's a big game for St. Louis because if you squander that two zero lead and then you're going back tied to Winnipeg, you could be facing a three two series hole going back. And now it's you have to win two in a row. So this is a big game. For St. Louis, in a sense of as the underdog, you don't want to go back on a road tide after squandering a two nothing series lead. No, and I mean that's going to be the interesting part because this game four is huge. E- either way, it's huge. Yeah, and that's the thing you want to build up as a three one lead because Winnipeg, same thing uh, with Tampa Bay. And when we get to that series, I can see Winnipeg even being down three games to one, having the ability to win three in a row, three in a row, and coming back to win that series. So if you lose tonight, you're going back to Winnipeg to have all the momentum. You're on the road. That's a situation where I'm stressing that if I'm Barubi. Like, we need to win. We need to treat tonight like it's a game seven. Yeah, and I mean, he, he has seemed very calm, cool, and collective behind the glass there. Like, they, they show him. Doesn't look like he's screaming at the guys. Just seems very calm, directing his orders. You haven't seen any really emotion out of him. Which I think is good. I mean, th- this time of the year, you know how emotions can run run high. I think he's just been very level headed. Yeah, which is surprising considering how he played yeah. back in the day. Ironic, yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think that touches on what we said before the series started. St. Louis, ever since he became head coach, have just been been playing loose and just been letting the system take care of things for him. Well, finishing that Western Conference, now heading over to the East. Uh, I guess we'll go with another great you know, game three. That's I can't talk today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> another game three tonight: Washington versus Carolina. Washington currently up two nothing in the series. Uh, the Hurricanes eyeing that jolt from the home crowd going into game three. So, what do you think? Yeah, they needed a split in Washington if they wanted any chance of upsetting the Capitals. Um, I don't think they're going to get swept. I hope they don't get swept uh, as a fan, but. I'm just hoping they can make a series of it. Uh, they're down 0-2. Like you said, they're home tonight. Uh, I'm hoping they can get at least a split uh, in Carolina to keep it going. They just, Carolina, just like they just don't have the ability to keep up with the Capitals at this point. You have uh, Carlson on the back end. There's nobody that can match him for his two-way play on Carolina. The thing for me is in game two, 
on a power play. All four Hurricanes are on the sideboard. And Ovechkin's just sitting there pretty in his in the OV spot waiting for that puck to get to him for the one-timer. And I'm screaming at the TV like, how many times does this have to happen for a team to go, maybe we should just, just leave one guy to shadow Ovechkin on that, yeah. in that left circle? Yeah. Maybe we should cover number eight. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, what was going on? So uh, nothing too crazy going on in this series, at least from my point of view. Just I feel like Washington's uh, experience being in the playoffs every year – it's just kind of showing so far. Um, but, yeah, if they lose tonight's series, it's over, obviously. Down 3 nothing against the defending Stanley Cup champs. I'm just hoping they can make a run of it. Yeah, no, I mean, Washington at home was just... That wave of red just kept coming right back down the ice. That Like, I swear they had a scoring chance almost every time they came up the ice with the puck. Um, Mrazek sucked in Game 1. He, he was better in Game 2. I know you touched on it when we previewed the series, but their goaltending like you need to steal a game just yeah. one i mean it kind of like if they win tonight i i don't know if it completely changes it but i mean you'd at least be 2-1 with your next game at home a little bit of a different mentality so they still haven't announced who's going to be in goal for tonight i know after game two brenda morris said that he's not putting any much of the blame on morazic and he's not going to get into the details of what the game plan is for game three yet. And apparently it's a game time decision about who's going to be starting either Mrazek or McElhaney. Yeah. I mean, I don't think game two was his fault, but game one, he was awful. So I yeah. mean, if there's a little bit of doubt there, I mean, if he wants to switch up goalies, I don't blame him. But at the same point, I think you just have to go with whoever he personally thinks is better. Because like if, if McElhaney was the guy the whole year that you put in after a certain loss and the team always won, I mean, what do you got to lose at this point? Yeah, for me, I've always viewed it as, and maybe, I mean, we've both been spoiled with our goalies for like the last 10 years where even if Lundqvist had a bad game and it got pulled in game two, you knew he was starting game three. Like there was really no doubt who was going to start. But I've always had the point of view of if you're going to change goalies mid-series and you're going to start your backup, he needs to be. You need to have confidence that he's going to be your goalie if you guys go on a run into the all the way deep into the Stanley Cup final. Oh yeah, well like if they win tonight, you can't jerk guys back and forth. Yeah, I was going to say if you win tonight, you can't have Mrazek then start game game four after. Like you got to yeah. roll with him. So yeah, that's what's going on in Carolina. It's not that Carolina is playing poorly outside of Mrazek in game one. It's just you can visibly tell who. Hasn't been in the playoffs since 2009, and who just won a Stanley Cup? Oh yeah, there's no question. Like Washington was just relentless, just constant. Um, sticking with the Metropolitan, and something I didn't see because I said Pittsburgh in six. The New York Islanders with a three nothing series lead over the Pittsburgh Penguins, completely just dominating in all facets of the game, beating them. I think one thing that's huge is Sidney Crosby not on the not on the score sheet period yeah just completely shutting him down and the other thing is 50 50 pucks have not been 50 50 pucks because the islanders are just going in there and getting them i know i didn't see game three yesterday but i did see the first two i mean great hockey it wasn't like it was a blowout either way like the, the teams were definitely playing bodies flying everywhere but the islanders just seem to be that much better i did not foreshadow this at all um what do you got on it yeah, I, I thought Pittsburgh was going to win in six. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to the first lady here because when she filled out her bracket, she picked the Islanders in six. So she's looking sitting pretty right now. I I saw game three yesterday, exact same, basically, uh, template as games one and two. Uh, if there was a puck battle, the Islanders came away with it. If there needed to be a big save, Leonard was making it. If you needed timely offense, Everly was providing it. Uh this is just I'm not gonna I'm not saying or implying that Pittsburgh doesn't care or that they're just not talented enough because they're more talented than the Islanders by far. Oh by far. I just think I just think this is a situation where Pittsburgh has played into May and June pretty much every year for the last six or seven years. They won two cups. I think Based because of the salary cap, where some of their depth during those years has been whittled away, and also because of all that mileage on, on their top guys, 
they might just be kind of running out of steam a little bit and might need a little energy refresh in the offseason in terms of bringing in younger guys or new blood into the locker room to kind of keep that ball rolling. I just think they're kind of running out of gas in terms of making a long playoff run, and then they're running into a team like the Islanders who they're playing with a huge chip on their shoulder. They're playing physical. Barry Trotz has instilled his defensive system perfectly. Uh, I just think the Islanders are playing more hungry. I know it's a cliche to say, but they're playing more hungry and more of a we need to prove ourselves than what Pittsburgh is doing right now, and it's really showing in each of the first three games. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. They just seem, like you said, not to be cliche, but the hungrier team. That's all it's coming down to. And the thing that's worrisome for me is late. Now, game three was in Pittsburgh, and late in the game, there was just nothing going on at a Penguins bench. Like, there was the embassy cam- cameras were showing the Penguins, and Sullivan was standing there. The players weren't talking to each other. They were just sitting there looking out at the ice, getting doing their line changes. There was there was like no energy out there. And I don't know who's going to be able to provide that, especially if Crosby's going to be held off the score sheet. Like Pittsburgh isn't built around a guy like a Braden Shen or Ryan Reeves or Brad Marchand who's going to go out there and just get the shit stirred and get everybody going. Yeah, no, they don't have any of that in their lineup. Um I mean, I'd be I'd be surprised if Branson doesn't try anything, but it, it's just one of those things. Like, if you're not accustomed to doing certain things, now is probably not the time to try. Yeah, and I'm I'm not going to be surprised if the Islanders win Game Four and sweep Pittsburgh because if you're if you're playing at home for the first time in a series, you're down two games to none, and you're playing that lifeless. What's the difference when you're down three games to none? So. I see this as going four, maybe five games. Islanders moving on, probably playing Washington in the next round. Yeah, I mean, I think we all knew. Well, I lied. I had Pence <laughs> caps in round two. So yeah, Barry just, Trotz going against the Caps. That'll be a uh, that'll be an interesting one. Um, Tampa Bay, Columbus. I don't think anybody saw this. I had Tampa in four, five games max. And now if Tampa's going to win, it's going to take a seven-game series. They had down 3 nothing to Columbus. They absolutely dominated the first period and a half of this series and then just fell off the rails. Like, I just don't know what happened. They showed that Tortorella speech that he gave in the locker room. The boys were fucking ready to go. Take no step back. Yeah, and I mean, they have done that. They have taken this series by the balls, and I think Tampa's done. I think tomorrow night is the last time you see Tampa Bay. Oh, you're calling the sweep. I I think so. I mean, it, would that be the biggest upset in NHL playoff history? Yeah. I mean, to come out and get swept against the quote-unquote eight seed, um, I had them win in the cup. I, I did. They, yeah. They've played this year like they have six guys on the ice and you only have five. Like, it just seems like they have an extra guy out there. They've been so good throughout the year, and then for this to happen, like, it's one thing if Columbus goes in there and steals game one, but the way that they stole game one in the sense you had a 3 nothing lead and then they end up coming back four unanswered, yeah, no. And then like, they followed that up with a 5-1 win in Tampa. Yeah, like, it's it's been incredible to watch. Um, I don't even know. There was a couple of things that had happened. Uh, the Kucherov thing, talk about losing your head and costing your team, like, probably you could argue your best player does that thing at the end of game two misses game three which i mean game three was a must win yeah now they're down three or nothing another interesting thing too the victor hedman injury that came out um they don't even know if he's going to be available for game four there's there were reports yesterday that he may miss the remainder of the playoffs which may be just may just be one more game yeah one thing too that actually upset me about hedman missing game three was after kucherov did that they had him chirping by the Columbus bench in one Hedman, thing, right? Hedman. And what he said to Columbus was, you guys are really good at blowing 0-2 leads, reference, well, 2-0 leads, referencing back to last year when Washington came back after being down 0-2. So with that, him not being in the lineup after going with those comments, that upset me a little bit. Like, I really wanted to see if he could put his money where his mouth is, you know, because he's been flat, too. Yeah, I mean... Besides the Boston-Toronto series, this is the one where I feel like I have the most to stay. Um, I'm going to try and 
keep it short and sweet. First thing is, and Kevin, you can attest to this. Before we recorded last week's episode, we were talking about like the little previews, and I was like, I just if they I even said this on the air. If Columbus was playing anybody else in the East, I would pick them to win. Like I feel like they match up and are better than every other team in the East. I uh, I just felt Tampa had too much going for them, like top to bottom in the lineup. But I had uh, Tampa winning in six just because I felt like Columbus would put up a really strong fight more than what a lot of people were thinking. I did not think they'd be up three games to none. I didn't even think they would win three games in the series to force a game seven. So I didn't even see this coming. What I'm surprised the most about is, and this happened in a conference final last year against the Capitals, Stamkos, Kucherov, all their big boys were held off the score sheet or were basically silent in that series and they were eliminated. Same thing is happening now. Stamkos is pretty much invisible. Kucherov, I don't know if, what the deal is with Russian players. But between him and Malkin, as like the poster boys for it, whenever something goes wrong against them or their team, they just lose their fucking mind and take really borderline dirty, or not even borderline dirty, penalties, attack other guys on the other team, and just put their team in a hole. I don't get how they're trained in Russia to grow up when they're facing adversity, but that's definitely not it. No, and I mean, like we said before, like you got to keep your head if you're that important to your team. And now you're not in a lineup for a must-win game. Like, not good. One other thing I wanted to see, well, say was this whole series outside of, I believe, the first game, which was opening night, has all been on CNBC. Yeah. And do you think that's due to the market rating, or do you think they just thought Tampa Bay was going to dominate, so they'll put them on, like, the second-hand market in a sense, and, you know, people can watch it if they want, so on and so forth. But now it just seems like that's the series to watch because Columbus went in, and I remember I said it last week, that I didn't feel like they were clicking as to all their deadline acquisitions and everything else. And now they come in and they're fucking on fire. Yeah, Bobrovsky's playing really well. Yeah, like, I don't know, man. If they sweep Tampa and whoever gets them next, whether it be Boston or Toronto, that's not going to be an easy series. Yeah, so two things about that. Going back to your first question around why they're on CNBC, I think it's a combination of even though Columbus has a pretty good fan base and Tampa Bay has a fantastic fan base, it's that preconceived notion of, oh, it's Tampa Bay and Columbus, so why give them NBC primetime or NBCSN? Especially when you have teams like Boston playing Toronto, two huge markets. You have, excuse me, uh, Pittsburgh, who is a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion recently. You have San Jose and Vegas, which are two big markets and fan bases. So I think it's a combination of those two things. The other thing is, I, when it comes to Columbus, like you said, playing out it in their minds, they had the ability to be doing this all along. If they were playing like this after the deadline, they could have won a division and avoided this whole situation. But the point I wanted to make is, if Columbus doesn't have a historic meltdown and lose four in a row against Tampa excuse me Tampa Bay here and they end up playing Boston or Toronto they're playing for technically the Atlantic Division championship and they're not in the Atlantic Division which is my only gripe really about this whole playoff format where if you cross over a team from the Metropolitan Division would be the Atlantic Division champions yeah I mean which is ridiculous but I know it's a minor point but it's just a gripe I have I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a game six or seven in a series just because of Tampa Bay's talent. But that was one of the most selfish penalties and plays that Kucherov could have done. You put Your team is down an 0-2 hole, and you're going to miss game three for suspension because you're frustrated. If I was Cooper, I would have lost my shit. Like, when did you become more important and your feelings became more important than winning the Stanley Cup for this organization? And secondly... I get Hedman missed time late in the season. He came back from games one and two. He played his normal amount of ice time. He played physical. Even after the Kucherov hit, he was getting into a little bit of scrum with Josh Anderson. You can't miss game three. I don't care what's going on. Unless you can't literally lift your arms from an upper body injury or there's some internal bleeding going on or something like that. Even play decoy. You can come out. You can play third line sheltered minutes for like 10 minutes of ice time. And then you play the power play. Something. You can't miss game three as the captain in a must-win game for you guys in the most historic season, regular season, NHL history. 
Like to me, that was a really soft move. And I mean, not to mention too, a Victor Hedman at seventy percent is probably better than a good Brayden portion. Coburn? Yeah, like a lot better than other defensemen that would be popped into that lineup. So Nationwide Arena is going to be a madhouse tonight, and if Columbus scores the first goal, Tampa Bay is going to start going, "Oh shit!" And I think they, I think they tightened up if they don't score the first goal. Yeah, I, I think them playing from behind is going to be the end of them. I just don't think they have enough oomph in the tires currently. Like, they would need to come out, blow the doors off of them for a game, go home, win a game, and then you'd finally have some sort of momentum going into game six. But, yeah, it, it's very bleak looking up from here. One more thing before we get into the big series here for our podcast. My boy, former Ranger, Brandon Dubinsky, this is the moment he was made for. He's not a prime player offensively. He's more of a four-flying guy at this point, penalty killer. But he can run his mouth. He gets under opponent's skin. When he was under Rangers and blue ja- and still in the Blue Jackets, he was Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin's arch nemesis. Kucherov is back tonight. The first shift, every shift of the game, if I'm Tortorella, I'm putting Dubinsky out there against Kucherov, and I'm wanting Dubinsky to face wash him jab him after each whistle. I want Kucherov to lose his shit again and get and rip that track record in the same series. These referees are not going to stand for it. Give him that five-minute major, double minor, eject him, whatever. Dubinsky's on his ass the entire game if I'm Tortorella. Tortorella. I like it, but you're right, though. Dubinsky is just a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, going on to, like Benny said, the big boy series right now. Game three tonight, Boston-Toronto. Series tied at one. First game in Toronto, I'm sure they're going to be flying coming out of the gate. Um, a couple of questions going into it. We know that Nazem Kadri is having a in-person hearing with the league, Department of Player Safety. It's actually going on right now. I was going to say going on right now. We currently do not know the suspension length. I'm sure that'll be probably coming on right after we post it, so we won't have any credibility in the <laughs> podcast per usual. But, we'll, um, comment on, we'll make some comments on our page. Yeah, exactly. We'll plan accordingly. Um, a lot going on here, Benny. Where do you want to start? I'll, let's start with the Kadri situation. Uh, the first thing I want to mention is the fact that he's having an in-person hearing is significant only because, according to the CBA, uh, a player has a right to an in-person hearing if they're facing a disciplinary suspension of six or more games. That's the only way you get the right to an in-person hearing. If there's going to be five or less, you would get a phone hearing. So automatically, he's, the NHL PA and the NHL is looking at this as a potential six-game or more suspension, which would obviously take him out the rest of the series for the second straight year. Um, I don't think it's six games, six-game worthy if you just look at it in a bubble. But when you factor in all the other stuff that he's been fined to suspended for, and it, the exact same thing essentially happened with the Tommy Wingles hit against the same team in the same round last year. In roughly the same spot of the ice, too. Yeah, if I'm Kaji, like, he's one of the more experienced guys on that lineup, even though he's still young just because how young Toronto is. you you got to be setting the example. you got to be playing smart. And the fact that Boston did their job and got under his skin and made him think about retribution more than scoring goals and helping his team win, that's I know I got on Kudrov a little bit, but Kadri... I, I'm trying not to offend anybody here. It's probably the most retarded fucking player in the a, in a NHL at this point, in the playoffs. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you know what? You know you have a target on your back, not just from the Bruins, but from the NHL league office. And that's, I, we can get into the hit. I get his reaction in terms of wanting to protect Marlowe, but you know you can't do what he did. Well, if if he wants to protect Marlowe there, why doesn't he just jump to Brusque? Why are you going to two- gloves? Yeah, why are you going to two hand cross check him in the head? Like, exactly. what do you think is going to happen? Like, especially we already said the reputation. Same thing last year. Why? Like, be smarter. Maybe this is what pushes him out of Toronto because they're yeah. going to be like, why do we have you for if you don't actually play in the playoffs? You're costing your team. Oh, and it's two just, years in a row. And it's stupidity. Like, even the Tommy Wingles won last year, deliberate and dirty. Like, the Marlowe hit. Well, before we even get to the Marlowe hit, him and DeBrusque went at it all night. In that first yeah. period, they had their tussle. 
Uh, DeBrus kind of gave it back to him for the slew foot he got in game one. They went down to the ground. They jumped on top. They both got two minutes. I mean, DeBrus basically pay, played punching bag in Kadri's face in that scuffle. Kadri didn't really come out looking too good in that. No, and the other thing was this. Jake DeBrusque, for a guy who was a game-time decision for game two, yep. already had the bullseye on his chest. Because if I'm Mike Babcock, I'm telling your team, he's a game-time decision, he's hurt somewhere, fucking go after him. I mean, simple. Yeah, within reason. Yeah, like, just play hard. Play him against the physical against the boards whenever you get the chance. Don't pass up on a hit. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know he's hurt. Fucking hit him. Like, it, it seems pretty simple to me. When I was in the AHL, that's how we ran playoff series. Look yep. at fucking so-and-so. He's bent over. Give him another whack. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm just saying, like, if yeah, you want to win. for playing that way. Yeah, like, if you want to win, that's what you have to do. But not to mention, DeBrus comes in game-time decision. I didn't expect much from him. He was in every fucking scrum. He yep. finished every, like, he was shot out of a cannon. Like, the kid was everywhere. He earned his street cred in, in game in uh, game two. Oh, no no question. And I As think, an outsider, I know you guys in Boston already love him, but from an outsider, I sat there watching the game. I was like, this this dude has balls. I like this kid. And and the other thing was this. So then Kadri came out of the box. He had another penalty for something. He came in, and then there was a knee-on-knee hit with him and DeBrusque. Do I think it was intentional on DeBrusque's end? Yes. Did he put his leg out and leg check him? No. But do I think he was definitely making contact with them regardless? Absolutely. There, there's no I th- question. I think he was. I think he was trying that the knee on knee hit. Like I think that was his intention. See, like I, I didn't see him extend or like push out. But I mean, if it wasn't that, he was definitely just gonna try to like hip check the shit out of him. Like he was definitely making contact regardless. There was yeah, gonna be no in between. We've both played, and we know the mindset, or we've been in a similar mindset like the Brusque was, and you see Kadri coming out, and you're like, fuck this dude, and he's coming full steam, and his head's down, uh, trying to pick up that puck and get it going. You're like, this, I'm going to lay this dude out. Oh, absolutely. And I think it was more, I don't think he was like, this is my chance to give a knee-on-knee hit, because the Brusque can blow out his knee-on-knee-on-knee. Like, it's not always going to be the guy receiving it. But I think the problem was, Kadri tried to kind of deke out of the way to avoid the hit, and that led to Bruss to stick his leg out as like a instinctual, well, I don't want him to blow past me. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen plenty of guys do that, too. Yeah, so there was an angle from the Hockey Night in Canada crew where you can see DeBrusk est- extending, not his leg out, but he turned his knee into Kadri like at the last second, but I think that was more of an instinctual thing. It's still a dirty play. Still a very dangerous play. I'm surprised DeBrusque isn't getting... I don't think he should get suspended, but he's not even getting fined for that hit. And that's a really unwritten code, dirty type of hit to give a guy, especially uh, at center ice in a playoff. So I'm just surprised he's not facing any type of discipline. Yeah, no fine, no penalty on the play, no suspension, no anything. Yeah, so Um, that's what led to the whole Kadri losing his mind after the Marlowe hit because he's like, this is my opportunity to get at DeBrusque. Yeah. What, you, what did you think good. of the hit on Marlowe to begin with? Well, this was the thing that I had wrote to Sean Avery. I'll, I'll actually pull up my Instagram thing. I, I, I slid in Avery's DMs after. Did Shout you want to talk my boy about, Sean. Do you want to talk about, oh, I got two things in here. Uh, let's see. Fighting a good fight. If anybody wants to follow his Instagram, his Insta stories are basically him fighting a good fight for people blocking the bike lanes in New York City as he's riding his bike. Yeah, well, Avery, <laughs> yeah, Avery came back the other night and said he thought DeBrusque was just a complete piece of shit. Um, the fact that he hit a 20-year veteran at that spot trying to hurt him, he said the only thing he was upset about was that when Kadri did that to him, he didn't take out his top row of teeth. And the only thing for me was he didn't hit him from the back. It wasn't late the spot is right at that end part of the bench there where it's now rounded glass glass. it's now rounded it used to just be a turnbuckle now it's rounded i i don't know like was he mad because he hit a veteran like i just don't know what he was upset about i don't think he was trying to injure him he just bumped him it's not like he completely threw him up and over the fucking thing like i don't know what the issue was avery wasn't happy it wasn't because he was mad at the hit on Marlowe because Marlowe's a veteran. Yeah, that was a hard hit into the glass, but Marlowe popped up. He was fine. He didn't even look annoyed at the hit. 
Um, shout out because that the reason why that glass is curved now is because Chara nearly killed Max Pacioretty in Montreal a few years back. Uh, but the hit was hard, but it's the playoffs. I didn't think it was a dirty hit or anything. But Kadri is such a selfish guy on the ice that I think he just saw the big hit and goes, I'm going to jump him because fuck this guy. I think he had no intention of protecting Marlo. No, and I'm with you too because, like you said, Marlo didn't even hit the ice. He just bounced back up and he was good. Yeah, he was. He looked for the puck. He's like, all right, where, where's the yeah, play right now? Continued the play. So I don't know what Avery was extremely upset about. Not too sure. His uh, his response was, if Austin Matthews wants to set the tone tonight, he should drop the gloves first shift with the brusket center ice. I mean, hey, I, I don't know if you I don't know what off the ice. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, hey, if you're taking one of their better players off the ice, then fuck it, who cares? But I I think that's just a product of Avery. I know there's this well-known story of when he was a rookie, or it's like his second year in a league. He was chirping Joe Sackick uh, when uh, Avery was on a Red Wings. And Brett Holt pulled him, or Steve Eisman pulled him back uh, onto the bench. And he's like, you do not respect Mr. Sackick like that. So I think there are a lot of guys from Avery's era that were brought up where one of the unwritten codes was, if you're a young guy or a rookie or something, you don't have the privilege of talking shit or challenging to a fight or hitting hard a veteran of the stature of Patrick Marlowe. So I think that's kind of what colored it a little bit. I don't understand the call for Matthews to fight in game one. Uh, in the first period of game three to set the tone, because if I'm Toronto, you know what's going to help me win a series by setting the tone? Scoring the first goal, yeah, not fighting. So I'd rather score the first goal and then let some of my lower line guys uh, take care of business for me if I'm Austin Matthews. I think one thing that is crucial to see here was game two, if the Bruins play with that sort of intensity every game, Toronto can't beat them. Yeah. Tor- Toronto is just a different animal in Boston, man. Oh, yeah, but, I mean, Toronto couldn't even sniff anything Saturday night. Like, we, we did not play a good game on Thursday, game one. And, I mean, credit to the Leafs for exposing us. They were behind us that whole game. McAvoy looked like shit. On three different occasions, there were people behind them. So, if Toronto can execute the way they did game one, I think they have a very good chance of winning this series. But if the Bruins can play the way they did game two, it's like, so I guess it all depends on which team is going to show up that night. Yeah. And what about that Willem Nylander giveaway, basically own goal in game two, where you left a puck at the goalposts. Uh, I know that was funny. Uh, Heinen just there to yeah. tap it in. I was like, oh, that was, that was very nice of him. The guy's a giver. I, I can picture our buddy up in Toronto just cursing in Portuguese, like, you held out for more money for that shit? <laughs> oh, yeah, he probably lost it. So. Um, yeah, big game tonight. Uh, I I honestly don't think, just to recap, that Kadri hit is worth six or more games. I think he was suspended three games last year. I think if you go four or five, that's plenty. Um, but that still takes him out for the rest of the series. If tr- whoever wins tonight is going to win a series is my call. I predicted Toronto in seven before the series started, but the way Boston played in game two, uh, now you're going to be a foul cadre. So the Maple Leafs have to move even, either Marlowe or Nylander to center on the third line, which reduces your scoring punch on the wings in the top six. Uh, the pressure of losing in the first round last year to Boston. If you go down two games to one, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the Leafs. They've been bouncing the first round pretty much every year they've made it on the Babcock. I don't know if they can recover from that, even if they force a split and they're going back to Boston. You have to win two out of three in Boston if you're going back tied to two. So I think if they lose tonight, I can't see Toronto bouncing back and winning the series. It might go to seven, but I don't think they can win two out of three in Boston to recover. And one other big thing, too. Um, Tory Krug and Jake DeBrusque both in the lineup tonight. Uh, Connor Clifton is not in the lineup. He was one of the guys who got hurt, didn't come back, and he is not in tonight, but Tory Krug and Jake DeBrusque in the lineup for the Bruins. Not surprised. Those those guys are gamers. Even even a guy like Krug is basically five foot ten on skates. That's a generous five foot ten. <laughs> but yeah, that's my thing. If Boston wins tonight, I'm not saying the series is over soon, but I can't see Toronto coming back from that. 
Well, you heard it here first. Ben Stradamus predicting again. Um, <laughs> one other thing outside of the playoffs. The NHL had their draft lottery last week after we had recorded. And uh, your boys came out with the uh, second pick. So what do you feel about that? It's uh it's a Christmas miracle. Um, I was already excited for the offseason just because of the salary cap space the Rangers were going to have uh, and some of their prospects that were going to be coming over, like uh, the goalie prospect from Russia, uh, Shishurskin. Kravtsov is coming over from Russia, their forward that they drafted in the first round last year. Uh, so I was kind of looking forward to that and seeing if they can make some moves in terms of free agency and trades. Now that they have the second overall pick, they're probably going to end up with Kaka which is perfectly fine by me. He fits the style of play that David Quinn wants to run a little bit better than Jack Hughes. I know Jack Hughes. I'm not trying to like be in denial about how good Jack Hughes is and how much of a pain in the ass it's going to be to play him uh, in the same division because he's going to get drafted by New Jersey first overall. But the style of play fits much better. He's more NHL-ready according to everything I've read and uh, heard from scouts and the draft analysts. Uh, he can play all three forward positions. He's been playing against men as a 17-year-old, so he knows what the physical style of the game is going to be like. So I'm excited there. Uh, they jumped up from number se- six or seven to go up to number two, which was really unexpected. Poor Colorado, who thought they were going to get the first <laughs> overall pick after making the playoffs. They drop all the way down to four now. Um, but the NHL, you know, you call it rigged or whatever you want to do it, but their top three picks... Two of them are in the biggest media market in the world, in the New York metropolitan area of New Jersey and the Rangers. And then you get Chicago with the third overall, who can probably make a very quick turnaround with how crappy the Western Conference is into at least wildcard contention next year. I mean, they put a big push on at the end of the year. Um, Another thing, too, the Devils getting Hughes. And, I mean, I guess it's still TBD because a lot of people are pretty high on Kako, too. But, um... If they actually do go with Hughes, now they have Heeshear and Hughes up the middle. They'd have Hall on the wing and Palmieri on the other wing, whether they split them or do whatever to them. Like, this could change their franchise a little bit, and they could actually kind of be contenders. I know another thing is Hall's unrestricted at the end of next year. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? TBD, maybe this changes it um, if he has a playmaker like Hughes with them. So we could probably cover that over the summer when we do a Metropolitan breakdown, but... I think that'll be a, uh, interesting to see what finally happens there. Yeah, kind of like the Ovechkin-Crosby rivalry where it's like whenever Washington and Pittsburgh played, that was secondary to how those two performed against each other because they're going to be linked for, the, for the rest of their lives, even after they retire. This is going to be a similar situation for Hughes and Kako in terms of being drafted first overall and second overall. There's kind of some debate about who should be one, who should be two. And now you guys are going to organizations that are long-time bitter rivals that are going to be playing each other all the time now. So it's going to be a situation where you're going to be in the biggest media market getting scrutinized. If the Rangers get Kako, but Hughes turns into a franchise center and Kako is a bust, that's a huge storyline. It sets back a division rival for at least five years in terms of the Rangers versus the Devils. So very a lot of interesting storylines. The Rangers rebuild just got expedited in terms of getting uh, generational talent like Kako second overall or Hughes second overall. So if I'm the GM of the Rangers right now or the new president, that's e- even a more appealing situation to come aboard for. And also, I'm not waiting three more years to see the fruition of all these prospects. You're getting the second overall pick. You're taking one of those two guys. You have cap room. You have cap space. Hank is still a quality goaltender. He's going to be turning 38, though you got to go balls to the wall. Don't turn around your long-term plan, but balls to the wall this summer. Get back into the playoffs. I like it. Um, you have anything for a shootout this week? or I Shootout this week, I'm actually going to go with uh, Burning Man. I don't, I'm not sure if anybody, everybody is aware of Burning Man, but it's that festival-type thing in uh, the Nevada desert that happens every year for a week at the end of August through Labor Day weekend. It's kind of like a EDM, house music, kind of like a modern-day Woodstock is how I try and frame it. Uh, peace, love, and happiness, man. But uh, the First Lady has gone to it twice already. Uh, she hasn't gone in a couple of years. Uh, she wanted to go one more time this summer before we move back to the East Coast. 
and she was all ready to buy the tickets and the system crashed for like four hours and tons of people weren't able to buy tickets that were uh, shut out of buying them before those who were able to buy them snatched up all the available tickets. So just going to give a shootout to the Burning Man server slash ticket sale system with a big middle finger for damaging the hopes and dreams of the First Lady for the summer. Unbelievable. Just the disrespect these fucking people have. Exactly. They don't know who they're fucking with. Yeah. Um, my shootout this week is just um, very specific to this recording date. Very specific as to what's happening today. The marathon's running today. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, just please be aware and just remember the people that were affected on April 15, 2013 during the marathon bombing. The people that were lost. The people that were injured. Limbs missing. Yeah. Just... One other thing that goes with it is how badass is the city of Boston? Because after when they finally track these fucking guys, they close the whole city. Yeah. And they find these motherfuckers, which is awesome. I was on a police scanners, man. Oh, <laughs> I dude. was living up in Florida. It was it was insane. And um, yeah, I, th- th- that's all for me. It's just specific to this date, specific to this event. Yeah, just. Always remember, please don't forget the people that we lost. A lot of things happened that week. Um, Keith Yandel with the Pray for Boston on his skates. Yeah. Um, the Buffalo Sabres playing that first home game back. The national anthem being sung by the crowd. Just a whole lot of feels, goosebumps, memories. Just, yeah, always remember, everybody. Always remember. Yeah, and I know just as a former two-time Boston resident, in total I lived in Boston for seven years uh, it was, I was in Florida at the time, and when I heard that there was an explosion at the Boston Marathon, I thought it was like one of those small-time things, or like it was some type of college prank because they run through a bunch of college campuses. So I didn't think it was like that huge of a deal until I saw it on the news in Florida, and it was just surreal because the marathon ran through our campus, LSL, basically. That and was our biggest were, holiday. Yeah, uh, there were a few times where at the very spot the finish line a lot of people from our school uh would go down and watch the finish at the marathon so when i first saw that happen i was concerned about who we knew that might be there if there are students from our college that were there things like that but yeah i wasn't surprised about how resilient the city was i know i kind of call it a big small town the city of boston but uh take it from a new yorker you guys are hard as nails and I got one question for you. LaSalle College, they run, we drink. Yeah, but whose city is it? This is our fucking city. It's Big Poppy City. Yep. <laughs> so, so, yeah, shout out to all uh, that. Keep uh, keep in mind, or, like Kevin said, the people that were lost and what happened a few years back. But enjoy yourself. Uh, have fun because that's what they were trying to fuck up for everybody. So, Keep sticking it to them and enjoy the drinking. Enjoy the Red Sox. The game's probably already over, but uh, fuck the Red Sox. Yeah, and uh, one other thing, too, since we're speaking of the marathon, a huge shout-out to Stephanie Rosa, legit my neighbor growing up. I was like her child. I was her little baby. Um, running the marathon for her daughter, Olivia, who has a brain tumor. So kick-ass uh-huh. across that finish line. Hell yeah. And shout out to Professor Hatem, who basically runs it every year. One of our favorite professors when we were in undergrad at LSL. Kobe. Hey, Kobe. <laughs> but yeah, any shout outs this week? Uh, just the usual big red apple of my eye. Um, a shut down or a shout down this week. UMass, you had me hard. I was fired up. Me and Stratty were there. We were on the bandwagon. Rug got swept out underneath us, but um, hats off to Greg Carvel and the season that they had there. Um, another shout down this week. Big Kev, he was uh, coming over for the game tonight, and then he got a text. He won't be able to make it tonight, so he's out. Uh, oh, Monday. What, what, a, what a what a little bitch. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna just cut that clip. He's gonna hear it during uh. <laughs> he, he's gonna hear it during payroll Friday, and he's gonna be ready to wrestle. So be well, careful. L- listen, Big Kev. When you're listening, I just want to say when I move back to the East Coast, I know we've had a little rivalry with the Rangers and Bruins and stuff going back. I am ex- so much looking forward to taking that train up to Boston, hanging out with Big Kev and Little Kev and getting some drinks and just catching up on old times. I don't know if he'll forgive you, 
But um, yeah, well, Monday I can run faster than him. <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. He got some wheels for a big fella. Uh, who you got this week? Uh, like you said, uh, the usual shout out to the first lady. She's actually letting me basically squat in her apartment right now to uh, record this podcast on her Wi-Fi. So shout out to that. I'm actually in uh, her roommate's room being staring at the Philadelphia Flyers laundry basket that she has, which is keeping me passionate throughout the whole recording. Uh, but shout out to the first lady. I'm also going to give a shout out. I know we just talked about it, uh, but you reminded me. Shout out to all the marathon runners today. The idea, of run, I think I've run 26 miles combined in my entire life. It's why I chose hockey. I can skate and glide instead of having to run. Uh, so shout out to everybody finishing it uh, today, no matter how long it takes you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week with maybe a couple of recaps of some series. Uh, hopefully still some series going on. Nothing better than playoff hockey, ladies and gents. Um, I'm ready. Game three tonight, Boston, Toronto. Let's go.